Welcome to Mortification of Spin, a casual conversation about things that count. With Carl Truman, Todd Pruitt, and Amy Bird. Mortification of Spin is a weekly podcast from the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. Let's join this week's conversation. Welcome to Mortification of Spin. This is Todd Pruitt, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-hosts, Amy Bird and Carl Truman. And today we want to take on a topic um, that is pressing in a lot of people's lives because none of us are immune uh, from this, and that is the subject of lament. Um, Now, of course, lament is a response to um, the sorrows and the troubles that we face in life. And since no one is immune from sorrows and troubles, uh, we need to know what to do with uh, lament. And I think oftentimes that this is, uh, has, has, has proved difficult for a lot of Christians to navigate because of the prevalence of bad teaching, um, the, the preponderance of, of preachers out there who are quick to promise a life of ease and comfort, that if one has enough faith or if one sows your seed in my ministry, um, the Lord will lift you up out of uh, uh, having to experience those things that affect uh, less faithful people, that you won't have to go through uh, the pain of a, of a wayward child or the pain of a terrifying diagnosis or any other such types of, of sufferings, if you'll just have enough faith. And because uh, that kind of message comes from some of the largest uh, churches and some of the most widely heard preachers on the planet, uh, there are, unsurprisingly, lots of professing Christians who are utterly dismayed and shocked when they experience suffering and therefore oftentimes are either encouraged to deny that they suffer or they end up punting the faith uh, because it didn't work for them. So we, we want to take some moments to talk about the role of lament, the, the, the function, the place of lament in the life of uh, believers. Carl and Amy, when, when the Christian encounters trouble, from whatever source that may be, trouble because of situations that are outside of his or her control, uh, trouble that comes from what we might call natural uh, disasters, you know, a, a bad diagnosis, physical pain, or, or trouble that comes because of sin either our own sin or because someone has sinned against us. Um, Where's the first place that Christian uh, needs to go in their time of of sorrow, in their time of trouble? Alcohol, drugs. (laughs) Well, well, and you know, Amy, you know, it was interesting. I I was just talking to some folks in our church uh, just the other day. And, you know, sadly, that is, you know, the, the number one cause of death of Americans between the ages of 18 and 55 is drug overdose now. Wow. And, and, and we have responded to our troubles uh, by going to intoxicants. It's lowering the uh, age expectancy at a time when actually yes. people are generally living longer and healthier. Exactly. The, uh, the drug epidemic is, exactly. is devastating. Yep. yep. I would say the place to go, well, for fundamentalists, the answer is always Jesus. Now, what's the question? Yeah, yeah. For a Presbyterian, the answer yeah. is always the church. Now, what's yeah. the question? Right. I think right. the, 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 place, the place you must not stop going, if we put it that way, is the church. Mm-hmm. Because 
when you are suffering, you need to hear the word, you need to take the Lord's Supper, and you need to be surrounded by people who know you and love you. You need to be plugged into mm-hmm. the community of the church. So I would I've say noticed it's so hard for people who are in deep suffering to do that sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I often see that um, people going through some of their hardest suffering start missing Sundays. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, what do they say about, and I'm not being crass here, but what do they say about a, a wounded dog? A wounded dog does not like to be touched. A wounded dog will typically hide. Mm-hmm. The same is true for us. When we are, when we are wounded uh, emotionally, spiritually, suffering in those kinds of ways, typically our first impulse is to hide. And that's mm-hmm. the worst thing we can do. It's understandable in some cases, mm-hmm. but it's the worst thing. Well, you know, you want to present I mean, there's this whole idea, I think, maybe a guilt struggle, too, with Christians who are suffering, that they need to model faithfulness through suffering, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and they want to do that well, and we don't know what that looks like a lot of the time. Yeah. Uh, you don't feel like you can look like you're sad. Right. You don't feel like you can look like, I don't know how to put one foot in front of the other and get to church today. Right. You know, the Bible is, is remarkably honest about the troubles and the sorrows that we face in this life, that there's any notion that Christians should expect to avoid or somehow rise above the kinds of suffering and sadness um, that are in this life um, is, is just a terrible uh, misunderstanding of the truth. It's understandable why those kinds of empty promises have found an audience because our hearts long to be in that land where there are no sorrows, but we do not live there yet. And, you know, even though by God's grace, we do experience a lot of joys in this life, this life is a veil of tears in many ways. And, and the Bible is remarkably honest mm-hmm. about this. And of course, particularly when you go to the Psalms, almost a third of the Psalms would be considered Psalms of lament. That, that tells us something. Yeah, and I think that points to the liturgical connection here. Yes. And that where do people have their expectations of the Christian life set? Probably not when they're reading the Bible for themselves. I think most of us have our expectations of the Christian life set to some great extent by what we hear preached in the pulpit, and maybe even more so by what we sing uh, in worship. So I think it behoves the church leaders to make sure that the church service reflects appropriate expectations, both of this life and of the next life. We don't want an unremittingly miserable service. The service has to be... Uh, peppered with hope, if you yes. that way, but also has to be peppered with realism, mm-hmm. the realism of what it is to live as, as an exile people in a veil of tears. Well, what does that look like? Right. Uh, it doesn't just look like ultimately our health breaking down. I mean, most of us, when we think about suffering, that's where our mind goes. I'm going to get old. I'm going to get cancer. Or I, you know, I'm going to slowly break down physically. There are other kinds of suffering, mental anguish. Right. Uh, being perhaps the most obvious one. And I think all of these things can be addressed to some extent liturgically because of the resources we have in, mm-hmm. in Scripture. Right. And I think your point about the service of worship um, while addressing lament shouldn't be so unremittingly you know, remorse that we communicate the wrong thing. The fact is that the Psalms teach us that there's a connection between lament and praise. Yeah. That those two things coexist and only one psalm psalm 88 is Mm -hmm. arguably unremitting lamentation Mm -hmm. you can argue the use of the covenant name 
clearly points towards a grasping of the covenant promises, mm-hmm. the, the aesthetics of that right. song. Right. It ends well, and on I real had a friend down. tell me that right. they're so thankful for that song. <laughs> My friends, you've put far from me. That's how it closes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just because sometimes in your deepest sorrow, when you've, you've been betrayed or so deeply mm-hmm. hurt, you have that prayer. And yeah. it's okay to pray that. My pastor took a break from his sermon series through Romans to preach on Psalm 13 because there's been a lot of suffering in our church right mm-hmm. now. And, and he wants to help, you know, lead and, and, and how to suffer well. And, um, you know, he talked about how the Psalms teach us, you know, what we can say to God. Right. Even because sometimes we think we can't say these things, yeah. even though it's God and he knows our hearts. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. Um, you know, every week I'm aware of um, folks in our church who are suffering from everything from chronic depression to chronic physical pain to um, debilitating cancer treatments and, and that sort of thing. And I was talking to one young woman in our church um, Sunday after our after one of our services and she was there in a wheelchair, she's not crippled, but she needed a wheelchair because there there's been some significant surgeries and treatments going on on one of her legs where there's been these terrible infections and, and she has these terrible deep wounds, open wounds in her leg. And I would have completely understood had she not gotten herself to church that day, but it was so good when I saw her come in Mm -hmm. um, with the help of her, of her new husband uh, they're, they're a newlywed, young newlywed couple, and she has some chronic health issues that have been challenged, and yet she's suffered faithfully. Mm-hmm. She's cried out, <laughs> but, but it was so good to, to just chat with her quickly afterwards because she was clearly in pain, mm-hmm. but, but she articulated, I knew I needed to be here. She knew she needed the diet of the word. She knew she needed the fellowship of the saints. She knew mm-hmm. she needed that, that, and, and, um, and, and it was just a good lesson for me as a pastor, once again. I mean, years and years ago, when, before I was pastor of Cornerstone, when it was Gwynedd Valley Presbyterian Church, there was a young lady in the church who was dying of cancer. And she was in church the Sunday before she died. And mm-hmm. she was, you know, put it bluntly, a bag of bones at that point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the Sunday after she died, she died, I think, on the Thursday or the Friday, my wife and I turned up for Sunday school and her parents were setting out the chairs for Sunday school because it was their turn on the roster to do so. Mm. And I thought that more than anything I've ever heard from a pulpit that dramatically demonstrated to me the importance of church uh, in, in the Christian life. Yeah. You know, there are people who miss church because of a kid's softball game. Right. Mm. There really are. And then there are people who are so, eager to be in church, they'll be there 72 hours before they die of cancer, right. if they right. can, if yeah. they can. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's quite remarkable. Yeah. And, and this is where, you know, pastors need to help um, the members of, of their congregation to speak this language of lament that Scripture gives mm-hmm. us, because I think oftentimes uh, Christians, because of bad teaching, um, are, are not uh, aware of the fact that lament and praise coexist in the Bible, yeah, that lament yeah. and faith coexist. In fact, you know, I would argue that lament, biblical lament, requires a deep faith because you know, if, if you look, for instance, at, at the Psalms of lament, I'm thinking of Psalm 77 because that's the one I'm preaching this Sunday. You know, he, he asks these series of questions. You know, are, are you not faithful? Are you not the one who, are, you know, who keeps your promises? Well, 
he, you know, he understands the answer to those questions. Um, but his, his current situation has caused a bit of, of incongruity with him. But, but he's still proceeding on the presumption that God is all those things. He is faithful. He does keep his promise. And that's why, and that's the source of his dismay. Because what he knows is true about God, at least at this moment in his life, seems to be disconnected from, from the pain he's experiencing. And so that comes out in this lament. Now, now it turns ultimately to trust, but there is, you know, he asks questions in that Psalm that I think a lot of Christians don't feel that they're allowed to ask. Yeah. Job is the same, I think. Yes. Yeah. Job, the book of Job is very powerful. And Second Corinthians. Yes. Two Corinthians, uh, the British and Donald Trump, I think. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. Paul, it's a powerful, it's Paul's most autobiographical letter. He puts more of his heart on his sleeve in that letter than anywhere else. And, yeah. and the basic thrust of that is that the, the weakness and suffering that characterize his ministry, well, they may not characterize everybody's faithful ministry, mm-hmm. are actually a sign. Mm-hmm. pointing to the suffering and weakness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because, of course, yeah, Jesus is the, the elephant in the room of this discussion, if you like, in that the Messiah suffered and died. The, yeah. the Messiah, though infinite, eternal, omnipotent, omniscient, etc., was also weak and humbled and broken right. on a cross. And I think that the uh, you know, pointing to Christ doesn't just point us to the resurrection hope. Mm. You don't get to resurrection hope without going through death and the cross. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think that, that, that any Christ-centered worship, which all Christian worship should be, any Christ-centered worship will naturally have a place for the cries of dereliction in our right. own lives. Well, you know, it's interesting in that, in that particular psalm, Psalm 77, uh, as he begins to turn to trust, he, he rehearses the deliverance of God's people out of Egypt. And, and part of that is, is that he describes some of the expressions of God's wrath that were poured out upon um, um, Egypt, you know, and the waters that, that, that came in and destroyed, et cetera, et cetera. And of course, as the deliverance from Egypt was until the cross of Christ, the prototype of God's deliverance for his people. And on the cross, you know, again, we see the wrath of God outpoured. We see the, the waters of his judgment sweep up and cover over Jesus. Jesus so, accomplishes his exodus, as he himself says. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And, in, and in that sense, we do not then take upon ourselves the wrath of God. And so our, our lament is, is this, this, it's a path to praise uh, as, as it leads us through our, our brokenness, our disappointment, uh, the struggle with our own sin. Mm-hmm. All of those things, and it occupies this space between the terror of of the sorrows of this world and and the mercy of God. That space in between is is where we 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 sing this song of 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 lament. It's funny you say sing that song because when you said you were preaching on Psalm seventy seven, I just kind of like skimmed through it really quick, and mm-hmm. stands out to me there where he says. Let me remember my song in the night. Yes. And then right away, I thought of Job um, 35 talking about where is God, my maker, who gives songs in the night. Yes. And because I love that verse. Mm -hmm. Uh, Songs in the night. Yeah. Isn't that a beautiful phrase? Yeah. For the the one who's, who's suffering. 
Right. That that God gives those. Yeah. But but that here he's asking, you know, right before that, you hold my eyelids open. Right. Like that's how desperate. Right. I'm so troubled that I cannot speak. Yes. And 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 then he says, you know, let me remember my song of the night. But even there we have that that hope and that promise. My pastor was just preaching through uh he's preaching in Romans eight right now mm. about and it was such a Trinitarian sermon, but how the groanings, you know, mm-hmm. that we have, we don't even know what to pray. Right. And, and here, you know, David's saying, I don't even, I cannot even speak. Yeah. But that the Holy Spirit does come in and speak for us even. Yeah. 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 And, you know, I think, you know, I mean, as I was thinking about that, that little clause about uh, my, my song in the night, I, I was thinking, you know, yeah. Christians, certainly we, we want to sing songs of joy because we are a people who, who are oriented towards hope, but because we still live in this fallen world, we have to have songs in the minor key mm-hmm. because so much of our life, this side of heaven is lived in the minor key. Well, you know, Paul, Paul again in Romans 8 refers to the fact that, that the, the, the sufferings of this present life aren't worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed. He doesn't say our sufferings today aren't worth comparing to how everything's going to be turned around tomorrow. Mm-hmm. You know, the, 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 the hope is grounded in the age to come. And, right. you know, and again, we don't want to be so morose that we say you'll never be happy again in this life. But you know what? Some people might not be. I mean, I have a couple of men and women in the church I serve that have been dealing with a disorder that causes chronic, significant pain. There's a man in our church that's, that's been dealing with this for over two decades, and it is crippling pain. There is literally one small period during the day each day where it's less than awful. Mm. Now, you know, it's when I talk with this man and see him every Sunday that I have to think, you know, damn all false promises to hell. Mm. Um, but, but this man, again, if you were to meet him, he, he would smile. He would say something encouraging. And the whole time, you know, his body is in terrific pain, even right now as we're standing here talking. You know, doctors are telling him that that's just never going to change. And barring a miracle, barring something that God does outside of his ordinary providences, it won't change Hmm. this side of glory. And I think those are often, you know, those whose spouses leave them. I think it's very hard for them to come to church in Mm -hmm. the beginning Mm -hmm. through that pain because you're coming alone. Right. You know, I've heard people talk to me about that and uh, I don't know what that feels like. And, and yeah. so, you know, how, how can we help in that way? Yeah. It's, you know, a question I've been asking too. And it's like when, when someone isn't showing up on Sunday and you know, they're in a lot of pain, like there's this part of you that just wants to, you don't want to add in and say, right. now, now. Don't want to make now. them feel guilty. Don't want to yeah. make them feel guilty. Yeah. But at the same time, as, as a friend and as, uh, you know, a fellow member of the same church, yes. you also want to say, you know, why weren't you there, yeah. uh, you know, and talk to them about it more. Yeah. It's, it's a fine line, I think, yeah. a lot of the time to yeah. be able to address those kind of issues. Mm-hmm. And the fact is the church, our, our gathered fellowships need the witness of those men and women who are walking through particularly painful times Mm. because they help us see things clearly. But this points again, it's another big topic, but it points to the need for the church to be a community. 
Yes, because yeah. you know, if, if somebody that you hardly know suddenly isn't there on a Sunday, you don't really have the, the common ground or the goodwill no. to, to step in. You know, it, at my church, there are people that I know well enough that if they weren't at church on a Sunday, it, it would be neither offensive nor inappropriate for me to go and knock on their door and chat to them because right. they know I care about them. Right. Mm-hmm. There are people that I don't know so well. Well, really, it, it has to be, it's going to be more effective if it's somebody who's closer to them. Right. So I think, again, with a lot of suffering, a lot of what we're talking about today is really, it needs to be part of the regular diet of the church so that when the crisis moment comes for individuals, right. mm-hmm. the, the liturgy is there, right. the community is there, the theology is there, mm-hmm. it's all there to be drawn on for, yep. the, for the tough moment. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. You don't want a, a pastor should never have to be caught in a situation where he has to do all of his theology in the hospital room because he hasn't done it well from the pulpit. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Even I mean, we were just encouraged after the service. We had a little meeting and we were encouraged by our pastor to be there for certain families that are suffering right now. Mm-hmm. You know, they've been suffering for a while. You need to continue to reach out to this right. family. And I, and I think that's a great thing for our leadership to do is to encourage us mm-hmm. to build those relationships to continue to love. Because the, person, the persons that, that we've been talking about, again, oftentimes, and this is understandable, the impulse is going to be to isolate. Mm-hmm. And so oftentimes with the sufferer, you have to go the second mile and to do that willingly because it is hard oftentimes to be around other people when you're hurting. That is hard. Mm-hmm. And so you need your brothers and sisters to draw you out. Yeah. And it's hard to be around hurting people because sure. I know I'm, I feel so, I don't know, like I'm always saying the wrong thing. Right. Or not doing it well. Right. Yeah, exactly. And, and this is where those who are suffering can help us because we, because so often I have heard from those who are in the midst of these very, very difficult situations. You know, this is not the only thing I want to talk about. You right. Are, you are allowed to talk yeah. to me about other things and you are allowed to talk about, you know, I want to talk about you too, you know. And so we need to make sure that they feel comfortable saying, tell me how to talk to you mm-hmm. about this. You're lamenting. You are sorrowing right now. When, when are the times we need to just not say anything and when are the times mm-hmm. when we need talk. Um, but all of these things are learned in fellowship. All of these things are learned right. in, in, in the gathered community as we worship together, as we fellowship together, as we pray mm-hmm. uh, together. And I would say that, that some churches are big, some churches are small. There's no sinful size for right. a church. But if you're in a big, big church, make sure you have a circle of friends who look at Yes. Mm-hmm. Make sure you know at least one of the elders. Make sure yes. you build those personal Small care. groups are really good for that. Yeah. Yep. Carl. What's that? I said small groups are really good for that. Absolutely. Yeah. People struggle with small groups. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. They really are good ways to build yes, they are. stronger relationships. You have to talk about your feelings, don't you, in small yeah, groups? Yeah, yeah. Or you can just fake it. <laughs> well, the English are natural hypocrites. I'm not fake it. Well, I guess yeah. it's time to wrap up, but I think the church just still has so much to learn about this topic. And uh, we wanted to offer one resource that we highly recommend. You can go to our website, mortificationspin.org, and sign up to try to win a copy of Todd Billings' Rejoicing and Lament, um, published through Brazos Press. Uh, it's an excellent book. I've recommended it to so many people, you know, not only those who are suffering, but those who, 
in the, you know, just in the church to be able to care for those who are suffering. Uh, we've interviewed Todd Billings on the podcast about this book. So uh, maybe we could provide a link to that interview as well on our website for you there. We recommend you read it whether you win the copy or not. Thanks for listening. You can also press the donate button on our website and help support our podcast. We would appreciate that. Um, I was just on iTunes just recently. I thought, oh, people leave reviews of the mortification of spin. This is crazy. And I went and read them. And that was so encouraging to read reviews. So thank you for those of you who have left positive reviews of the podcast. <laughs> only leave positive only positive. We're not interested in the yeah. other side. Yeah. It was really those good to read them. So thank you. And thanks for those who've recognized my suffering on the reviews. <laughs> She's never had it so good. good Todd. Thank you for noticing that. We made her great. And we look forward to talking with you next week. Uh, <laughs> thanks for listening to Mortification of Spin, a podcast of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. Visit the podcast page and blog at mortificationofspin.org, where we'll have links and other articles from Amy, Carl, and Todd. And while you're there, please subscribe and consider making a donation. And be sure to listen next time when Carl, Todd, and Amy talk about... It was just a few years ago people were complaining about blogs. Now blogging looks like highly responsible journalism <laughs> uh, compared to what's going on with Twitter. Okay, so let me, uh, let me ask the obvious question here as the, yeah. the Twitter boycotter myself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Why do you two have Twitter accounts? <laughs> We'll talk to you next time on Mortification of Spin. I think our songs of joy need to be future-oriented. Yes. Mm. It's very interesting when Paul yeah. is talking about his sufferings in Second Corinthians. He doesn't belittle them except in comparison to that which is to come. To come, right. right. Exactly. So, Sorry, hold on. Let me get my dog to stop barking. Stop it. I bet that dog's learning something about suffering right now. <laughs> I will have you know, my two dogs, Jake and Annie, are being very well behaved. Well, my dog is not well behaved. She's an anxious ridden labradoodle. I don't okay. know what to say. Need some, need some patriarchy in that house. Well, <laughs> you must behave in patriarchal households.